1: What say you, Richard Ellen Murdoch, are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand in Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The
2: exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay. And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history.
3: to see Paul and Maggie during the night times when you're attempting to go to sleep. I'm sure they come and visit you, I'm sure. All day and every night. Yeah, I'm sure, and they will continue to do so and, and reflect on the last time they looked you in the eyes. As you look the jury in the eyes.
0: Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch's Murders, Money, and Mystery. I'm Ann Emerson. I'm here with our exclusive legal analyst, Charlie Condon, also South Carolina's former attorney general, our executive producer, Drew Tripp, as well as Max Harrison, our chief photojournalist for WCIV, our composer of our music, and the person who is running This entire production uh, right now, as well as helping us uh, field questions on this very last day of our time here in Walterboro, but certainly not the end of this story. I think there's still so much more for us to unravel as Alec Murdoch, the defendant, um, in this double murder trial of his wife and son, is now headed to state prison. Um, it really, this sentencing came up today, like all of the other incredible days that we've had over the last six weeks, it, it did not lose its momentum whatsoever. It just was a crescendo. We came to incredible symmetry in this story, in this case, in this trial, in these lives that have been affected Charlie, I, it was an incredible thing to watch, wasn't it?
2: Yes, Judge Newman. He, um, Judge Newman fan club, it just everyone needs to join this because I've never seen anything like it in uh, a court proceeding where he, in the process of sentencing someone to double consecutive life sentences, by the way, in South Carolina, that means your entire natural life, no parole, day for day, you die. you die in prison. That's the sentence. And in that process, he had some of the most eloquent words mm. and meaningful words that I've ever heard uttered in a court of law in South Carolina. And I'm not going to attempt to paraphrase or take anything that he said uh, and try and put up my words, because his words, in the setting, I mean, he's there sentencing somebody that he's been there for six weeks like we have. But he also had a previous relationship with this defendant. And he also knew quite well, I mean, Judge Newman, he was the had, he was the deputy prosecutor, deputy solicitor. I served in Berkeley County, across the river there, uh, the Santee River. He was in a county called Williamsburg, his hometown of Kingstree. So he he would have known through that service to the state at that time of the Murdoch's in the 14th Circuit. And so and then he would have, as he talked about, he um, had this relationship with Alec Murdoch over the, the years. And all that was brought to a head where he went through Wow, just listen to it I, again. I, I think yeah. we would not do well to paraphrase it because everything we could maybe hit highlights of it, but the way he capsulized and and um, no, and I know spoke about what was happening in that in this courtroom here in Walterboro, South Carolina, on on this day. It was it was whoa! It, it just just took your breath away. Once once he finished. I don't know what to say. How about you, Drew? It was just, I was just—I was
1: left speechless. You could tell it was personal for him. This—this wasn't—this wasn't just sentencing a person, just some some Joe citizen. It was personal, and he mm-hmm. made it personal. Mm-hmm. He, he was having a one-on-one conversation with. Alec Murdoch. Yeah. And oh. there was a back and forth with the defendant too, to a, a degree. It was
0: a conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought it, it was stunning. It was, there were times I was speechless to, you, to your point, yes, absolutely. Uh, and some of his language, I used the phrase earlier today, medieval. Mm-hmm. He was tearing Alec Murdoch apart up there, bit by bit, and he, he was he was taking his pound of flesh and making it clear how he had let down his family legacy how he had just utterly ruined his own reputation and perhaps permanently damaged his family's reputation but that the the legal community Mm -hmm. the justice system in the state of south in the state of south carolina it was again stunning he he torched him he and yet there alec sat in the face of this, what I think would be for most most people, unbearable criticism and scrutiny, and was unmoved. I didn't do it.
0: Yeah, I loved them. I loved them. That's what he just said. I loved Maggie and Paul. I'd never do anything never heard to them. hurt them. And, uh, you know, there was... Um, there was one expression he used um, that Alec had said in his testimony which I think sort of took your breath away the way he was able to turn it uh, in this part of the sentencing which was so powerful when he talked about the tangled web we weave yes. that was something that Alec Murdoch had basically mm-hmm. expressed right on he the did. stand he did and he said he said what what did you say what was that expression and just kind of giving mm-hmm. it a beat, and Griffin goes, he said, "What a tangled web we wee mm-hmm. So it was extraordinary to see the defense get sort of layered into that, oh, and, then, just, and then, and wow. then he says, um, he says, you know, uh, I, about the the tangled web, you you were such a gregarious person, and then that. Web you spun into right. was so unfortunate. You had such a lovely family. Yeah. He he really chastised him and let him know what he was leaving behind—the life that he had lost. It was all left. Your 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 license to practice law was stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, you made your final appeal as a lawyer. You you waived this right, and I tell you again, I respect this. Would never. Under any circumstance, oh, he said. He said, "I um, he he said, I, I give you this 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 opportunity to speak right now." And he said, "I respect this court." I, Alec Murdoch said, "I respect this court, but I would never, under any circumstances, hurt Maggie and Paul." So after multiple opportunities that um, that chief that uh, Judge Newman gave him, he still chose not to, to express guilt.
2: Yes. And, and I, I was also very much... Never, oh. I, I would never, ahead.
3: under any circumstances, hurt my wife, Maggie, and I would never, under any circumstances, hurt my son, Paul. Well, it, And it might not have been you. It, it might have been uh, the monster you become when you uh, take 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 opioid pills maybe you become another person. Um, I've seen that before. The the, the person standing before me was not the person who committed the crime, though it's the same individual. Um, We'll leave that at that.
0: Well, he certainly did. He certainly did, and um, that he was that Judge Newman was able to bring this around, and he wasn't letting Alec Murdoch off the hook, in my opinion. Oh, I mean, he not, was just
2: not, not, not. What, you know what I mean? He wasn't uh,
0: excusing it. He was just uh, saying, uh, "Well,
2: yeah. and uh I took real note too when he went into you and your family had access. You were the, in effect, the law in this part of South Carolina. You had access to the wheels of justice, and." you and your family would have been, I think he said this very courtroom. Mm -hmm. You would have uh, sought the death penalty for cases in which the conduct was less egregious than what you committed. He didn't fault the attorney general for not seeking the death penalty, but he made a point that I, I certainly understand what he was saying, and it was so powerful. And it was just one powerful thought, one meaningful thought after the other, what was it, ten minutes? But at it was, least.
0: Yeah. I didn't actually I, I I I would have to look back at my notes right mm-hmm. now, but it was at least ten minutes mm-hmm. that he spoke. And you know, I think that when we heard um, the the fact that not only you know and, and he reminded us, you know, Newman reminded us like that that he did have to take the portrait down of um mm-hmm. Buster. Of what a, a solicitor Murdoch,
2: right. who had uh-huh. been
0: up there, and it reminded me too when he was talking about this uh, about a conversation that you and I had back in October, maybe September of 2021, when I came to talk to you for the first time about mm-hmm. this case. You said very eloquently, um, Charlie Condon uh he's charlie said to me uh if you were uh up against um the death penalty in the 14th circuit mm-hmm. there was a good chance mm-hmm. that you could be prosecuted and sent to death row mm-hmm. uh that that the chances of you getting the death penalty were high mm-hmm. is what i think yeah he there said. were
2: i mean and was that was because of it. buster Murdock. Mm-hmm. yeah he was known for his trial skills and um you know, I was the junior young solicitor there in Charleston, Berkeley, and he was uh, the senior circuit solicitor. I think at the time he might have been the, the oldest one. He certainly was the longest serving, if if not one of the longest serving, and he was known as a master of, of uh, prosecutorial skills. And so here we fast forward, doesn't seem that long ago, but I, I guess it is. Uh, but. It, What, 20, 30, 40, 50? And now his grandson has been convicted of double homicide in the Colleton County Courthouse. Need I say more? It's just
1: unbelievable. I've got a few things, but I want to start with some confirmation. I I don't know that this is breaking news per se, but we knew this was happening, but I just Mm -hmm. received confirmation that Alec Murdoch has been transferred out of custody from the Colleton County Sheriff's Office to the State Department of Corrections. Wow, That yeah. has happened. So wow. he wow. is in state prison now wow. or on his way to state prison as yeah. of right now. Yeah. He's no longer in the Colleton County Detention Center. Yeah. Um, backing up, because I want to talk more about the death penalty, backing up to two things uh, real quickly on Judge Newman. Uh, an analogy that came to me today, and I've used this in other times. Um, the way Judge Newman was speaking to Alec was Mm -hmm. not impassioned. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Mm -hmm. loud. It wasn't boisterous. It was, it wasn't, wasn't yelling. It was measured. And it was very, even told it, not that he ever, the only time he raised his voice in that trial that I recall was when he told Jim Griffin to sit down. That's right. That was it. When he kept kept objecting. Um, It's for those who've played sports, You'll have your coaches who are very animated and yell and shout, and that might be, they might be shouting praise, but you also have the coaches who shout criticisms and chastise you, and they're loud and they're boisterous, and they embarrass you in front of, uh, they embarrass you in front of your peers and the stadium and whoever else is what, what looking when they're yelling at you. And then you have those coaches that get right here, right here in your face, and they whisper it to you. And that was that. That was always to me, it, the more impactful. Mm-hmm. It, it, you, you yell at me in right. front of a bunch of people. You You're not trying to listen. It, I'm trying to
2: listen to Judge Dooman today. Uh,
1: you you yell at me in front of a bunch of people and try and embarrass me. I'm gonna fight back. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, you want to make a scene? I'll make a scene. But when you get right here, right here with me. And you're telling me about myself, whispering in my ear exactly mm-hmm. what I've done wrong. And you're making it intimate. That was always the way, okay, that's how you light the fire. That's how you get the get the motivation out, out of me. And it's, it's, it's not a perfect analogy. I'm not, I understand this is not sports we're talking about, but I'm talking about human, human nature and the effectiveness of language and communication and how we communicate with one another. Right. And I just thought it was so striking. Yeah the way Judge Newman chose to handle that. Yeah,
2: and I'd be curious on your thoughts on this. You know, you you saw the defendant maintain his innocence, even Mm -hmm. though Judge Newman said there was overwhelming proof. But I noticed in the defense counsel's press conference, there was the same theme of the family, the Murdoch family came to court for six weeks. Mm -hmm. They wanted to hear the evidence, and the defense counsel said that they weren't convinced of Alex's guilt. So there does seem to be a bit of a... When you say an unusual theme within the within the Murdoch defense team family and the defendant himself, that um, I think is highly unusual because they would have, I mean, I would have thought at the very least, well, there were 12 citizens that heard the evidence, mm-hmm. and are you saying that they're wrong and don't get what? has gone on you you would have thought there would have been some deference that there might have been some reconsideration of our position let me absorb this let me think but they were he was very strident didn't you think mm-hmm. that that they, they don't believe that that the case was proven and i, I was really struck by that because yeah, i just heard the defendant say the same thing and then on behalf of the i think he was speaking for the entire family correct right that they don't believe the the case was proven
1: and to that point i want to get back to the death penalty but th- that, that is a good segue into what i wanted to bring up. And I was speaking with uh, Nick Bogle Burroughs. He's the Wall Street, um, excuse me. He's the New York Times reporter who's been here in Walterboro since the trial began, mm-hmm. covering the trial. We were we were at, we were were talking about the death penalty today and why the state didn't pursue mm-hmm. the death penalty. And I made this same comment to, uh, goodness, Jay Bender. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, I lost my train of thought for a, minute, and for a moment. Jay Bender, uh, who's been the, one of the media liaisons, court media liaison for throughout the trial, very respected press freedom attorney here in South Carolina, always looking out for your journalists making sure, us, making sure we can do our jobs without, without interference from the Well, now that have gone over to the other side, I can now... Sing his praises,
2: but I remember when I was Attorney General, I was less than like he was a little bit of a thorn (laughs) in the side. It's funny how the
1: rules change. Yes. So, (laughs) uh, with Nick and with Jay, life is long. Yeah. With Nick and Jay today, Judge Newman's comments being what they were about the death penalty not being pursued, and to your point, Charlie, about the defense still still feels like the the case wasn't proven, but are you you saying these jurors didn't hear what we all heard? And the, the the way it worked is it, you go back to day one, and I've I've said this, I, I had to be coaxed along with all this in this trial, given my opinion and my analysis each day. I had to be brought along, it's like, show me the full picture, show me the full picture. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, you can't deny how extraordinary and almost unthinkable the state's position was. The, it's a it's a thou, it's a mm-hmm. thousand mile high view of a giant picture all narrowed down into a sharp focused focal point of this all led to murder. Oh, and by the way, it was for no no more consequential reason than just for his own self preservation and right. being able to kick the can down the road. What an extraordinary thing to believe and. Every domino had to fall along the way. Mm-hmm. If you look back, at this, they had to get in the they had to get in the motive evidence with the financial crimes, with the drugs, with the roadside shooting. With mm-hmm. every domino had to fall for them to make this stick mm-hmm. and to make it work. And they didn't know they were going to get that. The state prosecutors didn't know if that was going to happen mm-hmm. for them. So I think that might explain why we didn't get uh, the pursuit of the death penalty. We should have asked about that when we had the chance today with Alan and mm-hmm. with Alan and Creighton. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to them right. more in just a few minutes. We have we did get the chance to uh, to interview Alan mm-hmm. Waters and Creighton Wilson. Oh my gosh! I, like that. I just I, I <laughs> flip flopped them. Alan Wilson and Creighton Waters. Excuse right, right. me, <laughs> but um, just. Charlie, what are your thoughts on that with the death penalty, and what has to happen to go in to, get, to go after a death penalty trial?
0: Can I can I just break in for just one more second? Sure. Please. I just got a confirmation from Christy Shane at the SCDC at the Department of Corrections that he has now arrived at Kirkland.
2: Wow. Awesome. He's good there. to go. He's now. So please, in please their carry on, yeah. but I
0: wanted to make sure that yeah, everybody watching yeah, this uh, heard what I just told yeah, you. Yeah,
2: he's going to. He
0: is in. He's state prison. be in
2: a mad spot. They're having in that exact facility, what he's going to go through, reception evaluation, it's not a pleasant process. Anyhow.
0: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about, all from the comfort of your home, isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um,
2: Death penalty, South Carolina. I I believe I can really speak to this because I've been involved in many, many cases with uh, the death penalty sought. And from experience this is how it works. You do have the same standard of proof for murder case, capital case. When you think about it, actually for a speeding ticket when you go to magistrate's court, it's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. However, and I can speak to this from personal experience, it once you tell jurors that you it, the trial is split up. You have the, the, the guilt phase, if he's found guilty of murder, then you proceed to the penalty phase, life or death, and you have a day in between of uh, waiting to cool the passions of the jury. If you tell jurors that you're, as part of this process, we are going to ask you to consider if he's found guilty, whether you put this person to death or not, the standard of proof changes, not legally, but practically, from beyond a reasonable doubt to no doubt whatsoever. Mm -hmm. We know definitely did it because there were eyewitnesses, there were confessions, there's all sorts of physical evidence that ties them to the murder. Absolutely no doubt the person did it. And unless you have that level of extreme proof I do think the, poss- the possibility, probably the likelihood, of a hung jury just goes up exponentially. So I do think they were wise not to seek it in this case because I do think it would have resulted in best case scenario for the state for a hung jury. But having said that, when you do look at this conduct, which they have now proven, mm-hmm. it's definitely death penalty warranted as a, as a possible mm-hmm. punishment. So that's the conundrum you get into or the uh, the paradox of the whole system is a practical matter. You really couldn't get a, a death sentence, but from a really a moral standpoint, right. if somebody else is getting the death penalty for ex conduct, you look at Alec Murdoch's conduct. It, it's going to be right there with uh, really the worst of them. Mm-hmm. Just had a
1: thought, and we can move on. Charlie, you, what came to me as you were saying the point you were making about the death penalty and why it's such a leap for people. There's no coming back. You make a mistake, you get the wrong guy, and I'm not saying that's what happened here. You get the wrong guy in a life sentence that's case. Right. Mm-hmm. The, that's right. Through appeal, through right. further investigation, right. it can be overturned. That's right. If he sentenced to death, there's no coming back. Mm-hmm. Not, no coming back and what he's leaving behind. And you said that a few minutes ago. The Judge Newman was making the points about what he's leaving behind. What we know from this case, you know who's not coming back? Maggie and Paul. Mm-hmm. But you know what he's not leaving behind. And Judge Newman made this point. You know what Alec Murdoch is not leaving behind in all this? Their memories. They're going to visit him. I know. in the nighttime. How
2: he came up with that? I Every really night that, and day. That really struck me. as just such a powerful comment.
0: Well, and I think he's been haunted in that courtroom to some degree. I mean, forgive me, Judge Newman. I, maybe you haven't been haunted in that courtroom. No. But but I think but, that's I, a but fair, I'm, I'm,
2: anybody who sits in there has got to be haunted. I, I, don't you have like sort of nightmares about this or just? Unpleasant yeah. thoughts as you think about what he did. I, yeah, anyhow.
0: I mean, it, you know, I can't get those last moments, and, and maybe it's because we had such um, extraordinary deliveries by our lawyers and our legal teams. We had some of the best of the best, I would argue, in this country, because Southern lawyers know how to talk, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they knew how to bring it home on both sides, and they turned that script around we heard how Maggie was running toward her baby as he was gunned down by um, Alec Murdoch. That was the state's take, but of course, the defense's take was, "Well, what if he was running towards, you know, mm-hmm. Paul running towards his baby, mm-hmm. the defendant, um, mm-hmm. at, when he saw him when he got home from Alameda?" And uh, it doesn't matter which way you cut it, that that will that will take you apart, um, especially if you're a parent. So, I think you know they did their job they yeah. they did they 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 haunted us and um and they will for a while, probably mm-hmm. you know, um yeah, another thing that Newman said um, before we move on i I wanted to say, you know, we had a lot of lawyers in this because this is a this is um this was a lawyer that was that was in trouble, but uh Mark tinsley came up and he and I thought it was just so extraordinary he said um." To have a tiger like Mark Tinsley on his tail, uh, to pursue justice for Mallory Beach, and when we got a chance to hear from Philip Beach. Mallory's father was there to see the sentencing with his with her mother. Mm-hmm. Mallory Beach, of course, was the one who uh, mm-hmm. died in that fatal boat crash where mm-hmm. they say Paul was driving drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, and which precipitated, according to. The state, so so many of his actions mm-hmm. uh, was that his his yeah. desperation mm-hmm. because he was losing everything. Yeah, Judge didn't crash. leave
2: him off the hook on that, did but he? That, a tiger he acted like, like it, yeah. Mark and he Kinsley. also referenced the uh, the confrontation with the, the chief financial officer of the law firm, doesn't he? And so he wasn't letting the defendant off the hook on like, hey, you say you testified you're having a f- normal family day, and he wouldn't right. leave off the hook. I'm not believing that. This is what was going on. And I, it was, I mean, to have a, a judge articulate so well the concerns one would have about a defendant's character and actions in that setting that he did and still respect his rights. Because he said, he, you know, this is called the right of allocution. You, you don't have to speak and give you this right, and you're not choosing to do it. And he led him down the path of, wouldn't let him off the hook. If you're not going to speak now, fine. But here's here's what I understand you to be doing, in effect, which is, continuing this life of lies, right? And it, and it would, about, about what he said. Yeah. yeah. And it was just something.
0: That's when exactly it, right. When does it end? Where does it end? Um, well, so we also, yes, we were in that courtroom. I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get all my thoughts condensed. And I know that Drew Tripp is working on just a fabulous wrap-up mm-hmm. package right now. I know that we are working on how do we get to tell the story um, to you even more as mm-hmm. we go through, but we did get to talk to people as they were leaving the courtroom, uh, witnesses, um, people involved, you know, on the defense and the prosecution, and and uh, just a host of people who had come to watch. Emma, you know, speaking to people that had watched this whole thing and the journalists. Uh, one of the star witnesses for the prosecution um, were, was also available to us. Thank you to Charlie Condon. Um, had spotted Dr. Ken Kinsey, uh, the deputy chief over at Orangeburg uh, Sheriff's, but he was also a, a star witness for the prosecution for sure uh, because he had, first of an all, shucks, kind of uh, a <laughs> good old boy, like Orangeburg. You know, he was like, I'm, I'm right up the road from you guys here in Walterboro and I can I can talk to you about what I saw as I as I investigated this crime scene, but I couldn't help but ask him this question. I wanted to know, where, where does he think the guns are in this? Because that has really bugged me. Here's what he said.
2: Well, it, I don't know. Uh, I believe there were some missed
1: opportunities, but I also believe at that point in time, I don't think the state could have taken it any further, uh, being all those
2: characteristics that we've talked about it's coming. I don't know that it could have went any further at that time and you know they were awful critical of, of some of the things that the investigators for sled did but there's never a perfect investigation, never a perfect crime scene and my hats are off to them. I, I think they did one heck of a job and if it was me there as the victim, I want them coming and I want them doing it the same way. Mm. Wow.
1: Yeah, so to again to recap that a little bit, he he voiced I think a lot of the concerns that I've had, mm-hmm. but he voiced them through the eyes of a law enforcement officer, which I'm not. There were missed opportunities by the state law enforcement division and their their crime scene investigators, their forensic investigators. Yes, we've we've plowed that ground. There's. I, we don't, not to beat that horse any further, uh, no, no horse left unbeaten, right? Dick Harpootlian. Um, but to that point, he also gave the insight. Of, I don't think he says that he didn't think that they could have actually taken the, it any further. And I, I don't know, I don't know that I'm in any place to criticize that as far as the, where the investigation was, the, the scope of the, you know, the, the warrants they had, the, the information they had at this point, because as we know, information was being withheld, Mm -hmm. very critical information was being withheld. Um, And he's, he's, so he, he didn't exactly let sled off the hook, but he also tried to rationalize it from the perspective of someone in law enforcement for the layperson, the person who's not informed. And that's his take, that's his opinion. Uh, So it was good to hear that other side of it. I will note that I I had questions that I wanted to ask Sled today. We did get a Sled press conference, but uh, Sled Chief Mark Keel just made—he's very media averse—isn't maybe not the right 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 word. He's he's just not very public. Um, he's not he's not uh, one of those agency heads who's out in front of the cameras all the time. Anyway, we did see the rare. Press conference from Sled Chief Mark Keel, and he he gave statements. He did not take questions. I had questions. One of my one of my questions that I was eager to ask him is, uh, and I wanted to frame it this way: is we heard so much from the defense, um, about through this trial about the failures of Sled and the, what they didn't do and what they should have done, and you have to take that into context of it being. You know, the defense is trying to tell you a story and they're trying to sell you a narrative and they're trying to make the facts look as good as they possibly can be in favor of their client, they're the defendant, but at the same time, you have to take them with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. You also have to take them with their credibility. So, uh, it, or their were there actual legitimate criticisms coming from the state that this that sled is going to take to heart and act on and have there been have there been after action meetings where they come and review what happened and how how they did things and uh, you know in the future we're going to do this and we're going to do that and hey we're going to go to the state and we're going to ask for more money so that we can have this equipment or we and
3: mm-hmm.
1: by the way tried to put that uh put that ball in Dick Harputlian's court today when he yeah, when yeah the that's defense. A question you asked, and I,
2: yeah, I think that was a wonderful question you asked at his press conference, and to paraphrase, you asked Senator Harputlian, who's a state senator, mm-hmm. in your role as a state senator, in light of your professed concerns about the state law enforcement divisions and what they didn't do in this case, are you going to do something as a state senator? And great question, and as I understood his answer, he said he wasn't going to mix the two roles. So right. Answer
1: would be no, nothing. Yeah, he punted. Uh, I threw, or, or I threw him a hot potato, and he juggled it and threw it right back at me. Um, and which again,
2: yeah, I, I thought about that. I said, you know, it really sort of makes sense in a way because I do think if he jumped into the state senate as a, as a having experience as a criminal defense attorney, that that could be a bit of a conflict of interest. But yes. I do also think it was a fair question you asked him. So, uh, and and let's hope that I would expect that Chief Kiel. I've known him for many, many years, I have to think that they will internally look at what happened in this case and make improvements. I would have to think that.
1: And as as a resident of the state of South Carolina, as a taxpayer, mm-hmm. as someone who counts on that agency being there, if I ever need them, that's what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that that's any solace to the family of Alec Murdoch who feels that injustice was done here, or if it's solace to... Maggie Murdoch's or Maggie Brandstetter's family, mm-hmm. uh, the Brandstetter mm-hmm. family on the other side, mm-hmm. and all the victims who feel. Right.
2: Which, by the way, it was interesting. Didn't you think that, uh, as I understood it, they, they didn't appear in court today at sentencing mm-hmm. any of her blood family? Yeah. Uh, Maggie Murdoch's uh, family. And on top of that, as I understood it, under, and under our procedure, you're allowed to, to fill out what's called a victim impact statement. And had the victim advocate read it or present it to court, and I thought I heard uh, uh, Craig Waters say that that wasn't available. So I'm assuming that or um, something to that effect. But there was no there was no public statement relative to Maggie Murdoch's family's. Of course, you know, typically they speak on behalf of of, of the, the victim who is is dead, and that. You know, that in court did it. There was no one there voicing her other than this, which I think he did quite well, Creighton Waters. He voiced it quite eloquently and well. But typically in a murder case, you have a long period of time in which the loved ones of the deceased speak passionately about the harm done by the defendant, and that wasn't done here. I don't think it affected sentencing because the conduct was so egregious, but that, that wasn't there, which I thought was... Kind of interesting. Now, again, I may be mistaken. There wasn't a victim impact statement, but I would have thought if there were one, it would have been produced uh, by the victim advocate. So there you have it. That didn't. That didn't happen.
1: And just trying to reason through that, what else is there left to say? What mm-hmm. is there to say? That- mm-hmm.
2: I'm assuming the lifelong relationship that's going to go forward with Buster may have had a huge impact, in and what? And I do think, from a legal practical standpoint, I do think that. You hate to say a foregone conclusion, but mm-hmm. I i would get close to saying that that uh, uh, consecutive life sentences were going to be imposed in light of the conduct. I mean, it's just top shelf. We talked about death penalty eligible, that whole, I mean, which is what he did. It's just so unthinkable that the maximum sentences allowed by law should be imposed, and they were.
0: Yeah. We've just gotten some new information, and I have, while well, these two gentlemen were speaking. I was, um, bringing in Alec Murdoch's new mugshot has just arrived from Kirkland Correctional Institution. I'm sure we will be able to get it up for you shortly. Um, But I wanted to make sure that we were getting this out because we are still in our newscast um, as we're going to air right now. So I had to make sure that we were getting as well um, our podcasts, all of our live streams, as well as information out there for all of us right now. Um, it is an extraordinary picture. We will certainly try and share it with you as soon as possible, but his head is shaven again, and he looks like he is going into the r and uh, Charlie, you were about to talk about that. Can you tell me yeah, a little bit uh, about uh, it's that Yeah, South, South Carolina,
2: like? 46 counties, so pre-trial, your county responsibility, county uh, uh, pays for it. I think Greenville County actually has an exception to that, where they become after, and short term prisoners under a year are, are county responsible. I think in Greenville, after I want to say 90 days, they become state prisoners. But regardless, pretrial, he's now a state prisoner. And typically, and I'm, I think it's appropriate that this happened, but typically, the you know, <laughs> term of court, general sessions, they sort of send the bus up to RE, I think after a couple of days or maybe the next week. But they made a point of getting him out of here, which I think is wise. He's a state prisoner. It's reception and evaluation. Having been in there on behalf of a client, uh, I, I now understand why they do it. But the, the, uh, this client, he was, and of course, I wouldn't speak about any details of this. But just what I witnessed is you I think that really the purpose there is to depersonalize right. someone. Oof. And so they, that's quite they march weird. in a line. There's no, uh, no television. <laughs> that's, that's an understatement. Uh, no literature. I do think they did allow sort of a, a Bible here or there. And you're, the cells that I witness, you're, it's a, typically I saw two-person cells with uh, the toilet facility right there with no privacy. Mm. And, it, it, and so they evaluate you as to a violent crime he's been convicted of. There's certain prisons in which violent criminals are sent. Now, having said that, and you know him as well. Brian Sterling is right. our is our head of the Department of Corrections. I do think that it would be appropriate, without giving him special treatment, but to be concerned about his safety. And that may Absolutely. result in him being somewhere different than the normal inmate would otherwise go, because I do think that the likelihood of him being harmed seriously in a state prison, if you didn't take that into consideration, is high. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that that is something that should be considered. And He's an expert of that. He'll know how to handle that, and whether or not it means a different prison, I don't know. Maybe they could do it safely within the typical prison he would go to. But our state prisons, I will tell you this, and as a criminal defense lawyer here in South Carolina, uh, you want your client to go to the federal prison if given the choice versus the mm-hmm. state prison if the sentences are otherwise equal in time. We just don't have nice prisons. That's that's an understatement.
0: I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, I totally agree. Listen, I, you know, one of the big stories that I worked on for years uh, was nice. after the Lee riots. After the Lee riots, we were, uh, Director Sterling was, I thought, very open about the work he was trying to do in order to get cell phones um contraband cell phones that were getting into his uh prison he he put this the blame squarely on those cell phones um that that was what was causing all of the problems Mm -hmm. uh that led into the the riots that happened at lee that was one of the the worst riots we've ever had Mm -hmm. in the united states and killed i don't have the number off the top of my head but it was several prisoners um you know, to go into places like that and really see what these state prisons look like. You, it's hard to describe. It's it, it, honestly, for me, it was an experience that was not just a visual experience, it mm-hmm. was an auditory experience. It mm-hmm. was um, what I, all of my senses were involved. Mm-hmm. When you go in, all of your senses are involved. The right. smells. The smell. I will never forget. What it smells like in these prisons, and I don't mean that in a crass way at all. Mm-hmm. I mean that in an institutional way. Right. That's right. It's very much an institutional feel, and it is uh, it is remarkable how that stays with you, and it's a I'll it's say, an oppressive smell.
2: I'll say every time I visit a facility on behalf of a client, I'm always worried when those doors close behind me. I am getting out right. I mean, I oh, I just can't stand right. to be in there it's for more than a couple of hours because it's just not, I don't know how to describe it other than you've got cramp quarters mm-hmm. and you have all these people that just are around you that, uh, and then you do get the sense, how can I put this politely, there are a lot of like not nice people in there. Sure. And I, I just think he's he, he's gone from, I'm assuming he was treated fairly well within our county prison mm-hmm. system. And of course he, 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 uh, up till now hasn't served any jail time he's not used to it as some people might otherwise be who would have committed such horrible acts sometimes you know they lead a life of crime and then this is sort of the final chapter this isn't the case here no prior record and boom he's right in there and so he's got this i think it's 30 to 45 days where he's evaluated and i think his the shock on him he's experienced here for the next day or two is going to be extreme Right. And I'm sure they're going to take measures, too, also. I don't know if he's thinking of harming himself. But right. uh, the whole, uh, there needs to be an addressing of, of both the safety concerns and that issue because for those that want him punished, and I do think that's a very appropriate uh, emotion and thought, particularly to not only to, to deter him specifically but to deter others, and I, I certainly uh, would share that sentiment, it, it, that is occurring.
0: Yeah. It is. And it's, and it is shocking. It is, uh, it is hard to believe how far, far this man's fallen. And, um, and to see, to know what he's going to have to deal with now is, is unbelievable. I want to get to a couple of bites, um, to get back on what we were dealing with today. Uh, at the end of today, I had an opportunity along with Drew and Charlie, you were with us as well. We had an opportunity to speak with Creighton Waters and Alan Wilson, uh, the Attorney General, and his prosecutor, Creighton Waters, the lead prosecutor on this case, as you all well know at this point. Um, And they sat down in our chairs at our tent and um, had a few minutes to answer a couple of questions for us. I'd like you to hear, I think uh, we're going to play Waters first, is that right, Max? Let's hear what Creighton Waters had to say first.
2: I think we always thought that he would take the stand, and that was a different type of cross examination than you normally do. I wanted to get him talking. I wanted to give him the opportunities to keep talking. I felt confident uh, with those pauses that he couldn't help himself. I felt confident that eventually the jury would see him as convincing as he was on direct, that they would see him wheels turning and locked to them to their face and get to experience that themselves. And I think that. That ultimately, uh, you know, that was that was a, a seminal moment in this trial to, as well.
1: To the, to the question, this is my last statement, but to the question that I've been asked, and you probably thought about, and Creighton addressed it earlier. To the question is, what would drive a man to murder his wife and son, and especially the defense said he loved them. I've never doubted that in his own way he loved them in his own warped way he loved them, but he loved himself more. And murdering his wife and his son was the price he was willing to pay to preserve his way of life and to preserve his own personal legacy. And that that is why I'm so grateful that this jury uh, found him guilty and that Judge Newman gave him consecutive life sentences.
0: Um, you know, what a team, first of all. Um, you know, the the entire prosecution team, you're you know them well, probably better yeah. than anyone else, I'll be honest. I do. And the only reason I can say that is because right before we sat down in the chairs and I'd heard a little bit about Creighton Waters um and how he uh knows Charlie but I wasn't aware of Alan Wilson's role in your office. Tell, tell us about that. Oh, yeah, I that.
2: mean, I, you know, it's what a moment for me, right? Because um, I hired Creighton as an assistant attorney general in 1998. And then Alan had served as an intern in my office. So that, that did kind of remind me, particularly with, you know, with, with Alan, is really be careful. There's the people you might have a little authority over, because as you come down the ladder, they may be going up the ladder. So a little life lesson for others that might be out there to keep that in mind. And it, the whole trial was each one moment after the other. Of course, I ran against Dick for Attorney General uh, back in 1994 so. But anyhow, it was just great to have him on set. You did just a terrific job, you and Drew, of asking them questions, and I'll let you all Get into their answers, which I thought were really insightful answers from the prosecution team, who did just a great job, along with everyone else that was uh, here in Walterboro, South Carolina.
0: Well, I have to say, I'm going to let you go. the The thing is, I, I, you work on a case for this long um, as a journalist, and you are just your curiosity is beyond. It's like all of a sudden you're allowed to look at the at the at the puzzle. Um, answers that are upside down mm-hmm. that you've been wanting to read mm-hmm. from the crossword or the puzzles, you know, <laughs> right. like what's the riddle? What's the answer to the riddle? Well, you have to turn the paper upside down to see it. It's like Waters and Wilson turned the paper upside down for me today. And it was so, mm-hmm. uh, so nice to finally at least hear what they thought. Obviously we still have so many questions in this case, but, but at least we got a glimpse into how they perceived it.
1: Yeah. And for, for me, my question to Creighton was, what was the what was the bingo, the aha moment? What was the light bulb going mm-hmm. off for 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 the state, for the prosecution, for the investigators? Was there a was there a day? Was there were they all sitting in a room together? Were they were somebody reviewing records and then they come like some scene out of a movie where they come running down the hall? I got it! I, got, I figured it out. No. They pieced it all together, according to Creighton Waters, they pieced it all together like we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was it required that thousand mile high view, that way you can't, mm-hmm. If it ended in the very narrow focus that we got, the, the pinhole sharp focus that we got at the end of, end of the trial. What happened, when it happened, how it happened, who did it, the why and piecing it all together wasn't that simple, and it, it, it came step by step, and Creighton explained that also to me, and we, it was so, it, in my head I wanted it almost to be that, just that storybook ending of the, there being some unsung hero on the prosecution team, or Creighton himself sitting there late at night with a drink and uh, got his finger on his temple, and he's thinking, and he's thinking, and it clicks. It wasn't like that. Th- this was old-fashioned work. They worked Mm -hmm. and they worked and they worked and they put that puzzle together piece by piece. And then July 22 rolls around, July 2022 rolls around and they've got it. And it took them, it took them over a year, but it, but it worked. They got there.
0: They got there. And it's such a, it's such an extraordinary opportunity they gave us to like, Peel back that curtain, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, and they were
2: very open, weren't they? Like they were
0: that. open, and I mean, is that normal? To I mean, nothing's normal mm,
3: about this case. Not,
2: I think, not really. Actually, uh, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think there's been so much attention on this case. I think they feel, fr- and I think it's wise. They feel free to discuss strategy and what they think because of the many questions people have. And so, if you don't give people information, sometimes people think the maybe the. THE WORST OF mm-hmm. YOU, AND I THINK THAT ONE QUESTION WE HAD DID, YOU KNOW, DID SLED PURPOSELY DO A BAD INVESTIGATION IN ORDER TO HELP THE DEFENDANT, SO I THINK IT'S GOOD THEY'RE PEEPING, uh, I, I AGREE WITH YOU, IT'S TOO BAD CHIEF KEEL DOESN'T FEEL COMFORTABLE WITH THE, with the Q&A, BECAUSE THAT WOULD HAVE BEEN GOOD TO HAVE SOME answers. I'M NOT mm-hmm. CRITICIZED, THAT'S HIS STYLE, BUT I'M GLAD THEY'RE TALKING ABOUT IT, AND THE, um, AS I SAID, THE INTEREST IN THIS CASE IS AT A, at a REALLY HIGH LEVEL, AS IT SHOULD BE, I'M sure. SUPER INTERESTED IN IT JUST BECAUSE of, of, OF THE BACKGROUND OF IT, BUT, AND ALSO, I SHOULD REITERATE THIS, WE'VE TALKED ABOUT THIS BEFORE, this is really unusual for the Attorney General's office to be prosecuting a murder case to begin mm-hmm. with. It, it, the typical murder case in South Carolina is prosecuted by the circuit solicitor, unless there's but a recusal. And
0: he recused himself. You're right, and
2: so but I, what I'm saying, the recusals I hate to put it this way, but the recusal on juicy murder cases, and I hate to use any word that's positive here with a murder case, but you catch my drift on right. like a, pro, a murder case that, uh, that, that has this sort of uh, information in a background circuit solicitor is not going to be sent that to columbia they're going to prosecute themselves but he, he had it was a wise recusal sister stone had to recuse himself so it went to columbia which is really really unusual typically the ones that you would get and i can speak to this are the cases that have legal factual issues that are messy you don't particularly want to get them they're just these conflict cases you're Going to be involved with something that has uh, possibly and not that this didn't have all those elements but it's usually not the the, the pick of the litter so to speak in, in prosecution cases but this was unusual so you had this high profile case sent to columbia they could have sent it to another circuit solicitor if they investigated that or not but they've kept it and so you typically don't have these line prosecutors within the office itself and i think john, and I, I know they didn't hire john matters for this case but it is very fortuitous you had a really experienced murder prosecutor within this case team. I just think that he was essential. Not to denigrate anyone else. Creighton did a great job. Alan Wilson did a great job on his direct examination, Dr. Kinsey. But I do think that the spark, I thought, came from John Metters. I don't know what y'all think, but I think he was a, 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 really a, just a valuable member of the team.
0: I mean, he spoke He spoke so well to those jurors, and, and I'm sure that when we speak to the jurors, they're going to be able to elaborate on that as well. They He made it, and this is what we talked about last night, in a lot of ways, Metters made it safe for them to go ahead with what they felt they needed to do. He gave them the license by saying, did. You've done your job here. You've done it, and you know, I just felt like he gave them, it's okay, we need to put the bad guys away. He really did. And we need to protect, we need to to protect this from ever happening again. That's what Judge Newman did today by saying, he said the same thing.
2: Exactly, and part of the personal, just just a personal note, I just, I mean, to see Creighton Waters, who I hired, Alan Wilson, and then John Metters. We can go through the list. I'm going to leave somebody out. Don Zelenka, who I've worked with. I mean, to see that whole prosecution team bring home the bacon, so to speak, to win this case against a veteran, Uh. well-funded criminal defense team, I, I couldn't be more proud. And I think it really speaks volumes of the South Carolina legal system in a really positive way. There's a lot of negativity in this case within our legal system. This is a shining moment for our state's legal system. And I couldn't be more proud of of the state's team and, and
1: Judge Newman. Uh, Charlie, do you, anybody uh, through your connections, anybody over there at the Attorney General's office listening to this podcast that you know of? Uh, to
2: answer that question very directly, but off you know without giving names, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so if uh, and uh, uh, and also what has been, uh, I've been touched by this. The number of court personnel. Mm-hmm. And those that are in that courthouse that do listen to it. Uh, And so shout out to all those folks. uh, Did a terrific job. And talk about this for a moment. I mean, the clerk of court staff, the sheriff's office, the city of Walterboro, the Walterboro Police Mm -hmm. Department. I mean, it just has been just... I kept kept thinking there was going to be some big glitch or something would go wrong. It has been
1: flawless. Yes.
0: Well, and I even said to... Uh, Captain Chapman, who also was on the stand, um, because he was one of the first responders to the mm-hmm. to the murder trial, he was also one of our neighbors. With the Collins County Sheriff's Office mm-hmm. Special Ops mm-hmm. truck, mm-hmm. you know, van mm-hmm. was next to our tent where we did all of our live shots for this. Uh, I, honestly, what a what a lovely group of. Uh, officers I can only say thank you so much for keeping us safe if y'all remember halfway through this trial we had a bomb threat and uh, that was scary we had uh, it was scary for me uh, because I knew I had just spoken to a group of about 20 students who had come into the courtroom to watch the proceedings so I knew that half of our courtroom was filled with kids from high school and college, and that just was way too close for comfort for me. Mm-hmm. So that's what concerned me. Of course, this was a bomb threat scare. It mm-hmm. wasn't, there was never a bomb. Mm-hmm. But I talked to Chapman about that today and said, thank you again, because the way you handled it was was very cool, mm-hmm. as it did with Newman. Newman just said, everybody clear the courthouse, as he would. Uh, but, but I, you know, just thinking back on moments like that, it was in a high profile double murder trial, you have a bomb threat in the middle and these officers came in and clocked it and dealt with it and got us back on track. We were back in court.
2: Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. It was well done.
0: And felt safe. Mm-hmm. I felt safe.
2: Very safe. Really well done.
1: My my, uh, my question about the, uh, uh, about the, um, any of the uh, prosecution team listening to the podcast was about the fact that we have several times now heard our statements, uh, in our not in our statements, but our thoughts and our uh, what we've said here on the podcast, just talking it out amongst ourselves, it, they'll will hear it later on. Maybe not verbatim, but we were on the right track, and uh, we had in that soundbite that Max played earlier from Creighton Waters. He was talking about. I just let Alec Murdoch talk, and, and we picked up on that that very night of what he was doing. And you yeah. you remarked on Charlie how so again it was. So <laughs> again, uh, it was it was against the grain, like against the book it was that's not what you do you don't you answer you ask
0: that's well remembered yeah
1: and yes or no but yes alec could not help himself he could not stand the silence of uh, the that the the empty yeah, and silence think, uh, and you know, creighton knew it and played you know, into it we yeah, found yeah, that out I, today I, I, yes and i really i mean he, creighton water is
2: just brilliant in this case and you know I didn't have time to really watch the pundits on national television, but I did pick up a little bit of the. Oh, it's just awful. He's asking these open-ended yes, yeah. not yes. I thought to myself, I don't want to call them foolish, right? Because that's stooping to a level I don't want to go. But I thought you really have not been for this at this trial, yeah. seeing how this developed, mm-hmm. and every one of those why questions, none of them hurt the state, and there was so much fodder to help convict Alec Murdoch and that method that I just thought it was just genius as I watched this unfold. So much so that I, I just, uh, I think that rule, so to speak, needs to be have a, a crate, and water uh, crate and Waters subset on that, like with the exception of C Crate Waters, because it works <laughs> for bringing I want
0: to also, you know, Matters. just going back to Matters for a second, I've got a clip I want to play. Um, John Matters wanted to leave the lights on Waters and Wilson but I have to say I th- I think we're going to have to give the last word to John Metters. We're going to come back. Actually, we're going to have the last no, word. Not really to but John,
2: to to Bubba, right? But so. but yeah,
0: yeah but <laughs> but I, I do want to um I do want to say for the from the prosecution team mm-hmm. as Metters was walking out, I of course door stopped him as I would as a journalist with my phone out. And so I caught him as he was coming out, so mm-hmm. he doesn't get in trouble with anybody on the team here. Um, and he said, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defer. I'm gonna defer." But he said one last thing, and I want you to hear it. Hold
1: cool. on, right. hey. Do you have a second for one more? Are you allowed to speak We're too not much? They're supposed to go through the office. I'm just pleased okay, with the verdict. It was a tragic, sad case, and God bless Mama.
0: <laughs> You can't wow! God he bless said, Bubba.
2: Bubba, and the way he said it with that uh, genuinely uh, nice Southern accent, it's music to my ears.
1: And
0: well, someone help me tell tell the, tell our tell our listeners who Bubba is if they have forgotten.
1: Yeah, if you've somehow uh, <laughs> if you've somehow not heard the name Bubba. Bubba's yet. a
0: pretty popular country. Uh, southern name, so you gotta, yeah, gotta I mean, make Bubba, sure we, we, we got right, a Bubba.
1: human Bubba Hightower testify, remember? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so this <laughs> okay. is not, 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 that, not, not that, that Bubba. Bubba. Um, it, the dog, the dog that was out and had uh, chased down the chicken that the Murdoch's dog, Maggie's dog, Bubba, the the rambunctious, hard headed yellow lab. And but for that dog, Where we don't, we they? don't, and Alec Murdoch calling out to him. We don't have the definitive evidence that he was lying in his alibi, and yeah, that was a point that uh, John Matters made in his rebuttal and fi- final argument for the state yesterday. Which was, thank God for Bubba, mm-hmm. he testified and he got Murdoch. He got he got Murdoch to just say something, just a, just a just a passing word in the background on the video, and it. Turned this whole case around for the state,
0: and it was something that they couldn't get their hands on for nine months. But it mm-hmm. it it goes back to that Paul was directing this from the grave. That that whether or not you believe in any kind of afterlife, no matter where you come from or what your you gotta you gotta you gotta see what what just happened. And that is at some point Paul's phone was unlocked. It was a. It was actually in the end. I, I mean, I've got teenagers, so I know they do all sorts mm-hmm. of crazy things with their phone. But um, literally, um, it was like his. It was like his birthday code or something. Yeah. It ended yeah. up unlocking it. It's something that simple. Yes. And um, and they got into his phone nine months later and found this video and it 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 let the the world know possibly you know really what happened.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's just
3: mm-hmm.
0: it's extraordinary. You can't write this stuff. No. And I sat with some of the most unbelievable writers throughout this whole thing. And I've gotten to work with some of the most amazing journalists Same and, here. and and legal minds. I I don't know if anybody I mean, you should see how many people come up honestly to to get to get to meet Charlie during this and it um, it really speaks to 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 what a a legacy you, you've had here well, in I South I appreciate Carolina.
2: that. I appreciate that. Uh, it's been um, rewarding to be with you and Drew, and we've also had, in the middle of a murder trial, how could you have uh, the fun moments we've had as yeah. well? <laughs> you know which one I'm talking about in particular. <laughs> so, yes,
1: uh, you got a question? Throw your phone.
0: Uh, we're good. All righty.
1: One thing I wanted to add, just, and you mentioned uh, this a minute ago about the, the city of Walterboro, mm-hmm. the Colleton County Clerk of Courts mm-hmm. office, Colleton County government, the mm-hmm. Colleton County Sheriff's office. Listen, I, I'm from here. I'm from, i born and raised, Colleton County, South Carolina. Um, Walterboro was my home for most of my life. Uh and coming into this, there's a there's a there's a little uh, chamber of commerce uh, city phrase here, city marketing phrase here that they use. Brag about Walterboro, and I'm going to brag about Walterboro for just a minute because I was so so worried coming into this uh, about <laughs> the perception and the the criticisms of a bunch of, for mm-hmm. lack of better words. Uh, uppity, bougie, cityfied uh, <laughs> really uh, <laughs> uh, folks who uh, who just w- would just come in here and look down their noses and have all kind of criticisms and say this and that about this this little country town. It's not a country town, Waldoboro. I mean, it, thousands of people live here, mm-hmm. but it is not Charleston. It is not Somerville. It's not the big metro areas. Uh, that it would get compared to, it's it's a stop along I ninety five, and it's a it's a somewhat it, it's sad to say it has become somewhat of a bedroom community for those bigger areas that I just mentioned the 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 Beauforts, the Charleston's, the Somerville, the Orangeburgs. People live here and they drive to work. The average census data shows the average drive commute for work here is thirty minutes. Wow, um, and that's because you're going a long way to find work. This is not an economically rich place this is not a, uh, there's not a ton of people who live here there's not a lot of resources and there could have been low expectations and i was trying to manage expectations of people come, coming here and i was so afraid of the, the negativity and the criticism and I told Scott Grooms, who was the, who's running the wildlife center where the media room was set up. He's a city employee. I told city manager, Jeff Molinari, I've made it, a, tried to get, had the chance to tell, uh, Becky Hill, uh, who the, the clerk of court they did such an incredible job of managing all this and meeting and exceeding those expectations. Mm -hmm. They didn't give people an opportunity to to criticize this place Mm -hmm. and this town because they were prepared. They worked their tails off to make sure it was top-notch, top-flight, as professional as you could want it, as accommodating as you could want it um, for uh, for media coverage for all the people who had to come in here and live and work for six weeks uh, and be – Staked out outside a small little area and in cramped spaces and it, it was it was above and beyond anything anybody could have hoped and dreamed for. it was they left no room for criticism, left no room for doubt they did a terrific job and they deserve. All the praise, and I couldn't be prouder to brag up a little bit about Walterboro after all of this. So,
0: well, shout out Bragg, to all of you, Bra- absolutely, and also the wonderful ladies that helped us with our house and our podcast yes, setup. Uh,
1: the college County Historical and Preservation Society, Sarah How Miller, she's a professor over at the University of South Carolina satellite campus here, in Walterboro, longtime friend of mine, helped us out with the, the house. This this set that you're seeing here that we're, where we're doing this podcast every day, it's not just a podcast set. There are bedrooms and there's a living space for the, our crew that has been here for six weeks living out of this nice house in the, his, the historic downtown part of Walterboro. Uh, it just made our life so done.
0: wonderful. I agree. And we do, we're so grateful to the people of Walterboro and we've tried to let... We don't know how to say... Uh, there isn't a way that we could thank you enough for what... They did for us. Mm-hmm. And I know that the entire press corps feels the same way. And that is this is one of the largest contingency of press corps outside of a major presidential primary or rally that I've seen anywhere. It, this absolutely takes the cake. I do want to do one more thing before we go. First of all, I want you to know we have more stories here. We are not mm-hmm. done. We have more to unpack. I have a, a lot of um, people that you still need to meet in this story. And we will bring you those people in Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdochs. I also want to remind you that if you've enjoyed this, uh, not only to rate and review this podcast so that other people can find it and hear this extraordinary story. Also, we have another one under the Unsolved South Carolina uh, franchise, and that is Finding Brittany Drexel, a compelling story about a young girl who went missing, vanished 13 years ago in Myrtle Beach. And the story of how there was justice for Brittany Drexel. I think we've got a, uh, we've got, that's perfect. I think I wrapped it up. Uh, the, but please try and find, Finding Brittany Drexel. Uh, it's a real passion project of Drew and mine. It's that fantastic music is going to be by Max Harrison Daniel Mitchner, who was also the editor on the documentary-style podcast of the Murdochs that took us to this place where we could do the daily recap, where we could be able to give you the kind of insight that you deserved on a story like this, that was uh, under the editor, the the editor Dan Mitchner. He also did um, finding Brittany Drexel, and there are more to come. So please stay with us. We have enjoyed every single second we've had with you.
2: Till next time, I'll say so. Yeah. I'll say so. And I should say, as Mayor, your Mayor Young, Walter would say, I'm, I'm, we'll be heading back to uh, Charleston, which is near Walterboro. <laughs> that's
0: right. Charleston. Not the other
1: way around. Charleston. That's near
0: Walterboro. Charlie, Drew, uh, Max, anyone else that's in this house right now. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much. And we will continue our conversation with you very soon. Thanks.